Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring our message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. Good morning, church family. If you'll stand with us this morning, we're just gonna worship together. In Revelations 12, 11, it says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I know that there is testimony in here. I know that you have got a story to tell of what God has done in your life. And we can all agree that we have something to praise for, amen? We have something to worship him for. So let's dive in this morning. Put your hands together. Let's do this.
He's so good. And I was reading this morning in one of the, the, the Psalms that aren't that popular, just Psalm 70, there's only five verses, but it says this in verse four, but may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, God is great. God is great. He is. And what struck me this morning on this Psalm was that it says, but may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. And this is a Psalm of David. And he declared this obviously over the people in his life, but as this is the word of God, like he's declared over us today too. That if you are searching for him, if there's something deep in your heart, deep in, 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 in just your, your soul, that you're searching for him. It says, may you be filled with joy and gladness. And I pray today that let that be your strength today, that from that place you can claim the promises, you can see his love, his hope, his grace for you in every single situation that you have. Because someone long ago, and God himself says, that may you be filled with joy and gladness if you earnestly seek after me. And that's what I feel like I see today right now. And our response to that is God is great. God is great, right? So Jesus, I pray God that your joy and gladness be implanted in every single one of us today, God. And that Father, from that place of promise and from that place of hope, we can have and experience your strength through that joy, your hope in a hopeless season, your love in a loveless season. God, our circumstances don't mean a thing next to you. And so Jesus, we respond, God is great. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. For those of you that are here in the room, why don't you find someone, tell them that God is great, and then find your way to your seats as well. For those of you that are here online with us, thank you so much for tuning in. We love to be able to see, one, where you guys are tuning in from, and we'd love to see you interact with us during service. So get in the chats, whether you're on our website, on YouTube, or on Facebook. We'd love to see you guys. We'd love to be able to pray for you guys as well on those platforms. So let us know you're watching. Let us know you're watching from... If you are just new to fellowship, whether you're in person or online, if you just want to get your phones out and text the word fellowship to 94,000, that gets you a bunch of different links, one of which is the new to fellowship form. As soon as you fill that out, we get in contact with you as a staff, get you an invitation to the guest reception, as well as answer any questions or anything like that um, for you. And you can do that from home or right here in the auditorium as well. If you are with us in person and you're new to fellowship church, stop by the info center. We'd love to be able to hear your story, give you a little gift bag, as well as a specialty drink from our uh, coffee shop and bookstore. And if you're just wanting to figure out what your next step is in your relationship with Jesus and how that could fit here at Fellowship, stop by the east end of the lobby. Uh, One of our volunteers would love to help you with your next step as well. We're gonna continue uh, worship of our great God with the giving of tithes and offerings. There's a lot of different ways to give here at Fellowship Church, one of which is obviously the lobby. We have our offering boxes. I think the easiest way is the Church Center app as it tracks everything for you and also is a way to sign up for groups and classes and all those different things. You know, when I'm thinking about giving in itself, um, I'm reminded of either a river or a swamp because a river is giving. It continually gives resources downstream, but a swamp doesn't give anything, right? And we don't want to be swampy. We want to be a giver. We want to have a giving posture, and that's a way of um, us being able to be like Jesus because he was so giving as well. So as we give, um, have that in your minds, and if you are in need of financial breakthrough of any kind, I'd love to be able to just pray a prayer blessing over you and your family as well as uh, offer um, or pray over these offerings that are coming in today. So Jesus... Thank you, God, so much for who you are. Thank you, God, for how you're moving in our lives. And Jesus, thank you for your giving heart. God, is your heart um, that gives us this grace, this joy, this love, this peace. It's an honor to love you back and be able to give our time, resources, and even from our finances to you. So Jesus, I pray you lay your hand a blessing on any single person here, um, any family, any um, workplace that is just in financial need pour out that blessing on them, God. We are grateful, and we know, Jesus, that your storehouses are full. And so, Lord, I pray that you can bless every single person here listening at home or here um, in this room with us. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. In your heavenly name, amen. There's a lot of different things going on here at Fellowship Church. Here are a few of them. 
We are so excited and honored to be hosting the eighth year of Valleywide Worship here at Fellowship. On Sunday, March 6th, a bunch of churches from all over the valley are getting together for a sweet night of worship. We've already got worship pastors from all over working together to make sure that this night is so special. You don't want to miss it. Again, it's Sunday, March 6th at 6 p.m. here at Fellowship. We will not have children's ministry that night for our kids, but if you'd like, you're welcome to bring them into that worship service with you. Don't miss it. We want to take just a second to celebrate what God did in our baptism last week. We had the honor to be a part of almost 60 people's stories. Almost 60 people got baptized and there were so many friends and family that came to make that time so special. So to everyone that was baptized, we want to say congratulations for making that public declaration of your faith and your love for Jesus. And to all the friends and the family who came to support, that made that experience so sweet. So thank you again, congratulations, and we want to say thank you God for what you're doing in the heart of our church right now. Mark your calendars for February 20th because Pastor Tim is starting a four-week series on the end times. This can be a scary thing to think about, but if you dig into what the Bible says about this, it's really exciting and Pastor Tim is going to show us all about what the end times looks like and get us excited about the day that Jesus is coming back because we are close, so don't miss it. Also, make sure on that Sunday, the first week of the series, that you get here a few minutes early. We're gonna start service off with a really fun special called Jesus is Coming Back, and we wanna make sure that you are a part of that celebration at the top of service. If you're new here to Fellowship, or maybe you've been coming for a little while, but you'd like some more information and like to learn more about us, we would love to have you attend our guest reception on February 20th. It's right after the first service over in our administrative wing. We'll have a continental breakfast for you, and we'd love to get you hooked up with someone who can answer any questions that you might have, give you a tour of our facilities, introduce you to some of our staff and pastors. We want to do everything that we can to get you plugged in and make you feel absolutely at home here. So if you would like to be a part of that guest reception, you can sign up on the Church Center app, or you can stop at the visitor counter in the lobby after this service, and they can help you get signed up as well. Thank you for being here with us today. We have an amazing message prepared for you. We hope you enjoy it. Imagine that you and your spouse and a few friends are nominated for the newest reality show. And you guys are so ecstatic because there's a possibility of winning a $10 million cash prize. And so you sign the contract and right after that, you're ushered in to meet the host of the game. And it's there that you discover that this game is more like the Hunger Games than the Amazing Race. And you do everything you can to get out of this contract. Now you beg, you plead, you try to threaten lawyers, but you realize pretty quickly that the people that you're dealing with that are hosting this games are more like mercenary terrorists than they are law-abiding citizens of network TV. So you're ushered in to a helicopter. You and your team and other teams are on different helicopters and you're flying out to this remote island where your team will compete. You realize it's not just the cash prize at stake, but it's actually your life that's at stake. And while you're getting ready to parachute into this jungle island that's been specifically prepared, laced with landmines, shortcuts, dead ends, rogue animals uh, given steroids and just on edge ready to attack, one of the crew members of your chopper leans over to you and says, here's the backpack of supplies that you have as a team to try and survive. And then he whispers under his breath that unbeknownst to the terrorists that are hosting this game, that he has slipped a map into your supplies. And this map was designed by the creator that was forced to, to make the island. And he says, the map highlights all the things you need to know. There's a desperation, an urgency in this crewman's eyes as he pleads with you to please study the map, read the map, trust the map. Well, seconds later, you're parachuting to the island and as soon as you and your team have safely landed, you dump out that backpack and you start looking at the different supplies that you have to survive. You find the map, sure enough, and you quickly try to tell your teammates what the crewman told you about the map. Imagine one of your teammates says, 
We don't need that map. That thing's probably outdated. Man, they've probably changed it so many times since then. My guts, my instincts, my wits, that'll be enough. I'm a maverick, he says. I'm, I have insight into survival. I can do, we don't need a map. That map is worthless to us. And right about that time, one of your opponents sees a stash of supplies just off in the distance. And you can tell that they're going to go for it. And one of those team members begins running towards that stash of supplies. You yell out, you say, wait, the best supplies are landmine. Don't. And boom, the sick and horrible feeling wells up from within you. You realize that that just happened. That person stepped on a landmine and now what? So you grab your map. You find X marks the spot of the supplies in the distance and you look and there's sure enough a label indicating that he was gonna step on the landmine. How do you treat that map now? How do you look at it after realizing that it was accurate in that situation? like gold, like it's the truth, like it's your lifeline to life. You, you study it, you treasure it, you make a plan to guard it above all other possessions that you have in your survival pack. You realize that you have got to have that map. What if I told you that we are contestants on the greatest reality show that there is? That this life is an adventure and that we are on some kind of island operated by a terrorist called the devil? And what if I told you that God, creator of the universe, creator of our lives, what if I told you that he gave us a map too? And that map is designed to, to show us any landmines and pitfalls and blind spots that we might have while living this life together. And that map is the Bible. And just like the man in the illustration from this morning, there are many who say they don't need that map. That's outdated. There is no way that's accurate. My wits, my own decision, my own instinct is the way that I'm going to live my life. In fact, the Bible warns us that there would be such people in our lives. In Proverbs 16, 25, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the ends, it leads to death. The Bible teaches us and points out that there are designated pitfalls and dead ends, that there are landmines, but it also brings wisdom to light up dark corners and to illuminate blind spots. It warns us about things that we might not foresee and gives us advice about how to navigate through this life. And we must, as Christ followers, make it a point of figuring out how are we going to get into the Bible? How are we going to study and learn it and, and be able to know it so that when we're walking into different situations, we have access to the wisdom and insight that the Bible provides. So this morning, the plan is to dig into the Bible, to look at how it's structured, how it's written, and how it applies to our lives today. And so to this end, many of you already have had the privilege of meeting Pastor Madeline. She's been on my teaching team and my youth staff for almost six years now, um, but she's going to help me uh, with this morning's message. So during my time here at the church, I've had the privilege of mentoring and teaching your students, your elementary schoolers, about the Bible dozens of times. In fact, a few months ago, you probably saw them come in and perform the books of the Bible for you, which was really, really cute and also impressive. And I'm happy to announce that today, they are just four books away from knowing every single book of the Bible in order. Yes, they've been working so hard. We're so proud of them. And to many of us, that's quite the undertaking. It's pretty impressive. We might only be able to name a few of the books of the Bible. And it can also be a little bit intimidating because if you didn't have the ability to grow up in a kid's church service, you probably didn't have those foundations to learn as your kids are on a weekly basis. In fact, I have adult volunteers come to me all the time and tell me how much they love serving in kids' church because they get to pour into your incredible kids, but also because they feel like they are learning things that they didn't get the chance to when they were back in elementary school. They always tell me that they are learning just as much as the kids do. And I love this humility because after all, Jesus asks us to always keep our childlike faith, even in adulthood. Matthew 18, three, and Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never 
enter the kingdom of heaven. So with that reminder from Jesus in mind, we brought some children's ministry props to help us learn a little bit more about his word. And the first truth we need to understand is the Bible is easy to read every day. And to help us with this, we have the big Bible over here. Um, Now this Bible was used when I was in elementary school to teach me about his word. I now use it in kids' church every single week. And now it's making its first big church debut. Um, We're very excited. Survived the trenches of children's ministry to be here today. So uh, this is the big Bible and it shows us that his word is one unified text, but it's broken down into 66 smaller categories. We have the Old Testament, which is uh, it's 39 of the books. And then we have the New Testament, which is those other 27. In the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we hear the story of how Jesus created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. And in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we hear the prophecy of what will happen when Jesus one day returns. And we're gonna be diving into this deeper in the next few weeks, which is very exciting. Now these books are so, so incredible because they are filled with the most amazing stories. And I wanna focus on the Old Testament just for a second, because some of the biggest stories that we've heard growing up in the church, or maybe we haven't, is the stories in the Old Testament. Like the story in Exodus of Moses. He was an incredible man, but he was just a normal guy. In fact, he had a speech impediment, but God chose him and used him to bring his chosen people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. In the book of Esther, we hear the story of Queen Esther and how through her bravery, she was able to save an entire people group. In the book of Psalms, we have poems, poetry that is so, so beautiful, of people crying out to God in worship or in agony without any regard for who hears or sees. In the book of Proverbs, we have endless insights and wisdoms on how to live our daily life. These books are so, so powerful, but I think that sometimes the enemy can get into our head a little bit and teach us that the Old Testament is intimidating that it's hard to get into, it's hard to understand, it's arduous, outdated, irrelevant, just a bunch of rules and regulations. But what I found is some of the most amazing stories and some of the most life-changing teachings within these books. In the book of First and Second Samuel, I learned so many things. Through the story of King David, I learned what great and true leadership should look like. I learned how to handle devastating blows of loss and failure without letting it destroy a person. I learned what true love looks like, not necessarily between man and woman. You can save that mushiness for Song of Solomon, but between a man and God taught me how to be a woman after God's own heart, which is so, so important. These books have taught me so many lessons and it would be a mistake to look at them as outdated. It would be a mistake to see them as something that isn't relevant to our culture any longer because this is the living, breathing word of God. And in the New Testament, we have a love letter from Jesus to us. In the first few books of the Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the story of Jesus and how during his time here on earth, he lived a perfect flawless life. He was born to a teenage virgin. He grew up without ever committing a sin. And he later died for us on the cross to pay for our own sins. In the book of Acts, we have the stories of the, of the disciples and how, what they did after Jesus left earth and how they had to risk their lives in order to continue to teach his word through the people. So we have Old Testament all before Jesus came to earth. We have the New Testament during Jesus' time here on earth and afterwards. And these two beautiful pieces bring together the work of God and his love story to us. So what I love about the New Testament is it's a love story from Jesus to us. It shows his dedication, his devotion, and his sacrifice. It also teaches us how we should live our daily lives as Christians and always best exemplify who he is as a God. Now, I didn't come out of the womb reading the Bible, and for a while, I didn't really understand the importance of doing so. Even though countless mentors and very wise people in my life told me that I should be reading it on a regular basis, I didn't heed that advice. I didn't really have the discipline to start incorporating it into my daily life, and I didn't really see the value in it. I'd rather sleep in an extra 30 minutes than get that extra time with God. But when I reached college, I kind of met a turning road in my life where I knew that I needed something more. I was facing more adversity than I ever had before and I was lacking something in my walk with him. I also know that if 
I was going to commit the rest of my life to Jesus, that I needed to know for sure what his word said. Yes, I could listen to countless messages that told me so, but I needed to be able to experience it for myself on a personal level. I needed the accountability of his word throughout my life and the daily reminders of who I was to him. And in my darkest moments, there were always his words that came to comfort me. When I was feeling useless, the words of Esther 4.14 were spoken over me that I was created for such a time as this. And when I was feeling rejected by a guy or maybe a friend, the words of 1 Samuel 16.7 comforted me. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outside appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And when I was feeling underestimated by my age, these words challenged me in 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. The Bible is easy to read every single day, and we must be reading it daily because we can't afford to not know what it says. The second truth is the Bible is accurate, reliable, and untampered with. Recently, I was having a conversation with my sister-in-law, and she asked me a very raw and real question that I think bears repeating. She said, how do I know that if I base my life and my decisions and my, my moral choices on the Bible, that it's even accurate? How do I know that after thousands of years since it was written, that someone didn't twist it or insert their own personal agenda or political agenda to try to manipulate the masses? Can it be trusted that what's in those pages is actually what God was even trying to say to his people? And I love this honest question because I think that if we will ask that question ourselves and we will dig into the truths for the answers, we will find that the Bible absolutely does stand up to those kinds of tests. It is reliable. It is untampered with, and we do have historical evidence to prove it. So I want to jump into a couple things. The first is that, uh, as Madeline said, there are 66 books in the Bible, and the Bible is actually divided further besides just Old Testament and New Testament. It's divided into sections. Um, so this is called the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible. They tell us how God designed the world and the rules and regulations that govern it. And then these are considered the historical books of the Bible. And those books um, tell us the history of the people of God. These next section, Job through Song of Solomon, those are the, the poetic books. And then these are the major prophets. They're kind of the same as the minor prophets, except they're just longer, shorter. <laughs> so minor, major prophets, minor prophets. Then the New Testament, the gospels, the book of history is Acts. Then these are the Pauline letters written by the Apostle Paul, general letters, and then finally Revelations, which we've already talked about. And so when we start reading the Bible, we will see that the Bible was authored, if you will. That's probably not the best word. Authored is... I think the Bible is authored by God, but it's scribed or written from a human perspective, pen to paper or ink to parchment, um, back in the day by 40 separate men. So 40 men wrote this over the course of 1,500 years. And they wrote it um, while living on three separate continents. So Africa, Asia, and Europe. And so these men had no opportunity because they weren't even alive on the planet simultaneously since it was written over 1,500 years. They had no opportunity to come together and manipulate. They couldn't create an outline and a uniform theme and make sure that when Isaiah prophesied that Jesus was going to come, that somehow Luke would pick up on that and make sure that it was uniform. Instead, the only way that we can account for that uniformity is by the true author being God, and it's scribed by human people. The men who wrote the Bible come from a variety of professions. We have shepherds, we have tent makers, we have uh, kings, we have people that tested wine. We have all different professions represented in the Bible, and they wrote the Bible in varied places. Some wrote from palaces while others wrote from prisons. And so these men didn't even have a similar life experience to shape the direction and continuity of the Bible. The only reason that the Bible is able to boast that it has over a thousand pages and yet no contradictions is because the ultimate author of the text is God. God is the one who has spoken and revealed the truths to man as they wrote them down. Now, the question becomes, how do I know that it isn't, 
hasn't been tampered with over the years? And I love this question because when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and they were discovered in um, about 1940, 1950, they were unearthed by archaeologists, and they were painstakingly preserved, and it was determined that they were thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. So the archaeologists dug into this, and it, and it by doing so, we're able to prove even more so how untampered the scriptures were. One great example is, again, the book of Isaiah in this case. Um, they found a scroll in the Dead Sea Scrolls, unearthed in 1950-ish, that was com- the incomplete and entire book of Isaiah as we have it today. So they were able to compare that scroll that had been hidden from view for thousands of years. In fact, that particular scroll was dated to 175 BC. So almost 200 years before Jesus was even born is when that scroll was written and preserved. And they were able to compare it word for word. Now, Isaiah was written in Hebrew, as was most of the Old Testament, but Hebrew word to Hebrew word, they were able to compare that the the template we use for translating from Hebrew to English back to the copy that was unearthed in the Dead Sea Scrolls, word for word, nothing is missing. It was completely untampered with after thousands of years. Additionally, in the same scrolls, we were able to find portions of the Old Testament Every single book was represented in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but two. Only Nehemiah and Esther were not represented in part somewhere in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And again, there was continuity. We were able to compare the the parchment as it was dissolving, but we were able to compare that they are accurate. And um, you can actually view those. Some people have gone, made a trip just a few years ago over to Denver, purchased tickets and went to a museum and viewed the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it's a pretty powerful thing. Additionally, we have copies of the Pauline letters, Romans through uh, Philomenon, all of those letters together, um, we have copies of them that date to 100 AD, 100 AD. So you think about that. We like to say Jesus was born in year one. Actually, they think he was born between year three and four. And he died 33 years later. So if you do the math, okay, 37 AD is when Jesus rose from the dead. These letters were written then in the next 50 years or so, and we have copies of them and fragments of them dating back to 100 AD. So we can compare, again, those are written in Greek, so we can compare the Greek originally to the Greek we're using to translate to English, and we can tell that they are untampered with and authentic to the original ones. What we're reading today is what Christians in the year 100 AD were actually reading as having been written by the apostles. And then there are actually 6,000 different handwritten copies of the scriptures somewhere in museums and are available for display on rotation because of the paper and it can dissolve and you have to do a whole bunch of things. But you can go and see the Bible in its ancient forms and you can compare from the original text to what we're reading today and you can have a confidence that what we're reading is accurate. And this is essential to do because if we're gonna base our life on it, if we're gonna read it as the truth and the word of God, we have to know that what we've got is not twisted and manipulated to to toy with the masses. Second Timothy three, the Bible speaks of itself and it says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us where we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The third truth about the Bible is that it is the absolute truth and it outweighs any person's ideas or feelings. The Bible is the most important source of wisdom and truth, but many times we take into account the opinions and advice of our friends, our family, social media, maybe leaders, even our own feelings before we take into account God's but the Bible should be trusted and believed above all else. As believers in Jesus, we should not make our decisions based on a random set of feelings or opinions. Rather, we should make our decisions based on an absolute. And so for this, we will use another kids' church prop, which is this scale over here. And we'll need Pastor Will to come out to operate it for us. Now, in our life, we face so many different decisions. What we feel, what others may say, and we have all of these people trying to weigh in on our decisions. But we need to make sure that we are associating the right amount of weight 
to the decision that we're making when it comes to God. So if we're facing a decision, we should make sure that the weight is right and is above anything else that we're hearing or seeing. And this should look something like this. Maybe you're wondering a question and you're saying, well, for example, should I raise my hands during worship? Well, your heart in the moment is saying yes. You see other people doing it. You can feel the spirit moving and you want to do everything to bring Jesus praise in this moment, which means sing out to him as well as bring your body into alignment as well. So your heart is saying, yes, I wanna raise my hands. I wanna do this next step in my worship of God. But maybe your family is sitting right next to you and you know that they're a little bit newer to church and they don't really necessarily understand the significance and it might make them uncomfortable. And so your family would say, eh, probably no, shouldn't raise your hands during worship. You also notice that your coworker who's two rows behind you is watching you. And you know that if you raise your hands during worship, that could get a little bit awkward as well. And you don't necessarily want to have to deal with that on Monday morning. And so your coworker might tell you no. And so now we have a couple of voices weighing in on one side, our heart on the other side. God's word should be what comes in next. He's very, very clear in Psalm 28 too. He says, hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. Another Psalm verse in 141.2 says, my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. So God's word here is clear. He says, yes, you absolutely should. All right. I, I mean, it should, it should have that much weight associated to it. That actually is accurate. That should outweigh anything else by that much. His word is clear. Yes, you should raise your hands during worship. In the book of Psalms, it says, this is how you sacrifice to God. You don't care about anything else in the room and what's going on. Just, you know, focus on him in this moment. So yes, you should. Maybe another example is you're wondering whether or not you should text that ex that you broke up with because they don't believe in Jesus. Your heart and the loneliness inside is saying, yes, I mean, after all, tomorrow's Valentine's Day, so you can't, you can't not. And you know that that's a yes. Yeah, you can put it there. You also know that if you were to call up your mom, who's desperate for you to be in a relationship, that she would also probably tell you, yes, you should call up that ex, even if they don't necessarily cross off everything on your list. But if we consult God's word, it's very, very clear. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, bad company corrupts good character. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with the darkness? So again, his word is clear, no. That was better. Not both didn't drop off, so that was pretty good. That was an improvement. God's word is clear, and that's what it should look like. And we can, we can do this with so many different decisions that we are facing in our lives. Should I post my opinion on social media? Should I invite a friend to church? Should I trust God with finances and choose to tithe? Should I trust him with my future? The weight assigned to God's word in our lives ought to be stronger than any other opinion. There's another reason that we should always be reading the Bible right there, is that it can help us make the right choice. We must know what the Bible says in order to do so, whether by figuring that out directly or personally. We can learn that by listening to podcasts or re-listening to sermons. We can do this by reading books on the Bible, but we must learn it. We must become confident about what God says on every single topic. Our God will never leave us guessing on what to do or without guidance, but sometimes you do have to open up his word in order to find out. So you may be asking, okay, where do I start? How do I start incorporating his word into my daily life? Well, a very practical step to make would be to download the YouVersion app. So we're gonna put a QR code up here on the screen. You can pull out your phone and the photo app and just click right there on the QR code and it'll send you to the right link to download that app. You can also search for it in your app store. It's the second one right there that says Holy Bible. It's called YouVersion and it's completely free and this is the entire Bible at your fingertips. And we have a few plans to get you started that we recommend that you dive into. Our top recommendation, if you are brand new to the Bible, is the plan how to start reading the Bible. We know the Bible is different than a normal novel. You can't just pick it up and read it cover to cover and have complete understanding. It's the living, reading, living, breathing word of God. It's a little bit more nuanced. So this plan will help teach you how to do so. A couple of great plans by Craig Rochelle are Dangerous Prayers and Winning the 
war in your mind, they are great. If you have questions about what the Bible says on parenting, you can read uh, the Imperfect Parenting Plan I've heard is really awesome, as well as a Bible in one year plan is great. I did this personally a few years ago. Helps me get through the entire Bible with just a few chapters a day, broke it down for me and made it into sizable bites in which I truly understood that which what I was taking in. We also recommend that you don't just read whatever version pops up when you first download that app. There's different translations and versions of the Bible and some are more functional than others. So we here, we recommend NIV or NLT to get you started. If you have any more questions or if you need help setting this up, we're gonna have people over at the west end of the lobby under that pergola that can help you make those next steps and answer any questions you have. You have to decide for yourself. You have to make a decision in your mind. Is God's word worth trusting? And I think it's so critical to do that because we are counting on Jesus to have saved us from our sins. And the way that we find that to be true is because the Bible told us that. So if the Bible is accurate as Jesus saved you from your sins and therefore you can go to heaven, then is it also accurate when it comes to its directions on morality? And the answer is yes. Either the book itself is reliable and trustworthy as the living words of God, or it's not. And so we have to settle that for ourselves. And I hope that in your own mind and in your own heart, you'll make a decision that no matter how popular or accepted something is, no matter how happy it makes you in the moment, no matter how sensible it may seem or spiritual it may seem, if it is contrary to the word of God, it will ultimately bring sorrow to your life. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to settle that and decide now that the word of God, that the Bible is the roadmap to life and is the directions that you need to avoid every pitfall and every blind spot. Recently, Gallup conducted a poll and they determined that there are 2 billion Christians on this planet. 2 billion of us who say that they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they surveyed a, a cross-section and were able to determine that approximately 30% of those people will ever read the Bible in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And it further broke it down and it said of American Christians, people, again, that believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, 82% of American Christians only read the Bible during the course of, a, of their church service. So 82% of us only read what's put up on the screens by the pastor on a Sunday morning or we bring a paper copy of the Bible and we open it up and we read along as the pastor is teaching and some churches have it in their pew and you can open the text from there. But 82% of us, that's it. Just what we did on that Sunday morning, that's our Bible reading for the week. And I gotta be honest, church family, that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. And the reason it does is because I fell in love with Jesus by reading his word. When I was a 15-year-old kid and I had just accepted Christ as my savior, I knew very little spiritually. And I got a hold of a copy of the Bible and I began to read. And as I read those pages of the gospels, of the things that Jesus said and did and taught, Jesus came alive for me in a life-changing and powerful way. I began to realize that God wasn't mad at me, that he deeply loved me, that there was hope for my situation, that he cared about the things that were burdening me and weighing me down. It was by reading the Bible for myself that I began to have a picture of who God actually was. And when I moved here at about 21, 22 years old, I knew knew no one in Grand Junction. My entire family was back in Wisconsin and I was here at this church as a young pastor all by myself. I slept with a copy of the Bible under my pillow. And in the night when I would wake up and just be lonely, I would open God's word and I would, I would memorize it and I would study it and I would dig into it. And it was like a neosporin to my heart. As I went through the trial of being alone, I was confident that I was never really alone because of God's word. And so it breaks my heart to hear that statistically 82% of us never get to read the Bible on a weekly or regular basis outside of church. And I would love us as a church family to defy that statistic. I would love us to say, no, the Bible is so significant, so trustworthy. It's the living, breathing word of God. It can cut through all the stuff that I have to deal with and get straight to the heart of the matter. 
And so with everyone just bowing their head and closing their eyes, I'd like to create a little space for us to contemplate spiritual things in our heart. And if you're in the room this morning and you'd say, you know what? I am in that 82%. I am not consistently reading the Bible for myself, but I want to make a change. And if you would just say for one week, for one week, I will figure out a way to spend five to 10 minutes at minimum reading the Bible. I'll open the paper book and I'll go to Psalms and Proverbs and I'll spend a few minutes reading it or I'll figure out how to download that app. But I will commit for the next seven days to just give it a shot and try reading God's word. In the privacy of your heart, if you're making that commitment, I just challenge you to whisper that in a prayer to the Lord. God, we want to be people of your word. We want to trust the roadmap that you've given to us in our lives. We commit to the best of our ability to consistently read it for the next seven days to just see what difference it will make in our lives. And God, we thank you that you have given us the word, that you've given us a reliable roadmap for our life. And we pray that as we read it this week, that our eyes would be open, that our spiritual ears would be open, and that we would be capable of understanding your word better than we ever have before. We thank you for blessing us with your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you, church family, for joining us here and online. We love you, and we'll see you next Sunday for Pastor Tim's series on end times. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do so right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text HEAVEN to 94000 to get in contact with our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer request by texting PRAYER SUPPORT to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text FELLOWSHIP to 94000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week in person or online.